do not absolutely do not sell yourself short in your applications everyone has really unique experiences that they can touch on often there are things we do in our life like things we participated whether it be in sixth form in high school that we just think is something like a club or an activity we used to do and we just never think about it again but actually we actually did something really impactful Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name is Camilla and I'm a future trainee solicitor and LPC student at the University of Law and I will be your host for today. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Varsha Kanitkar, a future trainee solicitor at Clifford Chance, who is also a training contract offer holder at Latham & Watkins and a first class graduate from the LSE. So without further ado, let's welcome Varsha onto the show. Uh, Welcome, Varsha. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Camilla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm quite honoured to be here and really appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's it's a pleasure (laughs) to have you on the show. I wondered if you could um, start off the episode by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you decided to train as a lawyer. Yeah, for sure. So I kind of have an unconventional background to some people, perhaps. So I'm Indian Singaporean, born in India, grew up mostly in Singapore. I'm actually the first person in my family to even consider studying law. So when I did tell my family, it was a bit of a shock to them because they had no idea what to expect once I said that. And in terms of how I decided to become a lawyer, it really was a process of elimination for me because I was very fascinated with the humanities as a young child with like economics, English literature, English literature not being humanities, but you know, within the realm of like essay-based subjects. But then I kind of shifted from economics to law because I just felt like law is a really interesting and multifaceted way to understand society. And economics might be a bit limited in that because even in law, you can explore economic aspects of why we come to certain decisions. And then in terms of why I actually decided to practice as a solicitor, well, that's because, I mean, I came to London because I was always in this sort of educational environment, even in Singapore, where my friends were from several different countries. And then that led me to London naturally because it just had that same sort of 
sense of a melting pot. And then I felt like a solicitor also lended quite neatly into that because as a solicitor, especially at a place like Clifford Chance, you do get to have that sense of a melting pot once again in a professional environment where you're working with global offices, um, different types of people within the office in London itself. And it just felt like that sort of um, cross-cultural teamwork was something I was really interested in. And yeah, that's sort of a short snapshot snapshot of how I got here. Thank you. That's such an interesting background. And congratulations on securing a training contract with Clifford Chance. Um, I also saw that you, uh, from your LinkedIn profile, that you secured two vacation schemes in 2020, one with CC and one with um, Latham and Watkins. So I'm sure many of our listeners will be very keen to know how you did it. Um, so could you maybe tell us some of your top tips for making a successful application? I think, yeah, that's probably the most important question. But um, I think, honestly, when I was going through it, it was a lot of trial and error. I think only with hindsight, I can say my top tips. But I will say, like, to the listeners that it really is a trial and error process. A lot of pe- everyone is different individually, and it really takes time. I think this whole training contract application process is a, um, a different way of getting to know yourself. So honestly, I think people should, I hope the listeners, one thing they take away is that be kind to yourself and to go through the process and learn what works for you and what doesn't. In terms of what I can say with hindsight, looking back on my process and what worked for me i think there my i have three top tips the first one is know yourself secondly know the firm you're applying to and thirdly that basics actually take you a very long way and why i say know yourself and know the firm is that i feel like sometimes even when i speak to people and when i was i was going through the process we often are confronted with so many law firms and we just don't know what to expect and what to even think about researching about them so i think just the best point, the best starting point you can use is yourself. Ask yourself important questions like, what is important to me? What type of career do I want? What is my story? What have I accomplished so far? What are my values? And I think that really is a good way of tackling what can seem like the echo chamber of law school, where you're just sort of swayed by what people are saying around you in terms of whether it's um, international law firms, American law firms, British law firms. So I think really take the time to get to know yourself, do a deliberate exercise, because not only does it help you with determining what you, where you want to apply, but it also really helps with your applications, because in your applications, you are often asked, why this law firm? What makes you a good good commercial um, solicitor? And I think that's why having that sort of self-awareness helps you create a mental criteria for what you are looking for in a law firm and in your career, but it also helps you answer questions and articulate yourself in terms of saying what you want from your career, which is often a question in your applications. And then secondly, it's know the firm. And I think that's where the sort of matchmaking element comes to it, because once you know who you are and what you want from your career, then you can really create a structure for your research, which I really highly recommend, because as I said before, law firms are pretty daunting. And looking at a list of law firms, it's hard to determine what makes them different to each other. And so having a structure for my research really helped me because I could sort of create a table that would help me compare law firms, um, understand what the differences are, but also just be very clear to myself whether I genuinely am interested in applying to a law firm or not. And so 
for anyone that is curious, my personal criteria was that things such as the growth prospects in London and globally for the law firm, practice area strengths um, in that I wanted a firm that is pretty well-rounded because I am pretty undecided in terms of what specific area I wanted to go to. So an all-rounded firm really helps you make a um, very informed decision at the end of your training contract. Thirdly, pro bono work, because I personally was very heavily involved with my law society's pro bono division at the LSE. And so that was a personal passion of mine that I wanted to be able to continue in my career as I went on. Fourthly, the firm culture, which probably sounds like a generic one, but the way I did it was I tried to attend a lot of law firm events. Nowadays, they might be online. But just going to these events and chatting with people just gives you a really good sense of what their personality is like. And ultimately, if you want to go into a law firm, these are going to be people you're working with in the future. And you just want to make sure that you actually do get on with them and you feel like you could see yourself at the firm. And I mean, not that I mean, every time I've met someone, they've been absolutely lovely at a law firm. But I just feel like having that sort of personal conversation just uh, eliminates the sense of just looking at a website of a law firm and then not really having any other information to go on. And finally, and this is really personal to me, was having LGBTQ plus work available at the firm. Um, since high school, I was involved in my high school's Pride Society back in Singapore. And then even at the LSE, I was in, um, I was the vice president of the um, Pride Society. And so I really thought that I wanted to be able to continue my LGBTQ plus activism and help out in any way I could. And that's what I can speak later on this, but led me to Clifford Chance because of their artist network, which is just brilliant. And so I think forming this structure um, really helps you keep a good criteria for research and makes your research more targeted and focused. Um, to ensure that you are actually able to produce the best application possible. And thirdly, and not fi finally, uh, is basics. Um, Laura Yates, the Clifford Chance's graduate recruitment manager, actually put out a really interesting article where she highlighted some of the key reasons why applicants are actually rejected. And they're surprisingly quite mundane reasons like failing to degree detail your degree results, failing to detail work experience, or not using the entirety of the word kind provided to you. And so I think it's really important that you focus on structure and basic things like grammar. Um, I try to use a method where any answer, any question I'm given, I always try to begin by answering the question in two to three key bullet points. And then those bullet points I use to then anchor my paragraphs in my response to the question. And this really just creates a very simple structure that uh, graduate recruitment can easily follow because um, to be truthful, they are reading a lot of applications and you having a good structure not only makes you stand out, but it also makes it very easy for graduate recruitment to read. And an interesting point that I think it also does is it sort of shows your client friendliness because when you are able to communicate something with good structure and writing, not only are you telling graduate recruitment that you are someone who is very organized in terms of your thoughts, but you're also telling them that you're someone who's able to communicate with clients who, who are ultimately looking for lawyers to deliver information concisely and in a timely manner. And so I think these are really important points. And my recommendation would be honestly proofread, proofread, proofread. 
I used to have like one or two friends who I would always send my applications to just to take a proofread and ensure that I wasn't just in my own echo chamber of my head thinking that I'm writing something amazing and when it was absolutely horrendous. So I think that um, having some really good, having a good support system who is willing to read your um, applications two, three times during two to three drafts, um, I think was really key. And I think that sums up my three top tips for a good training contract application. Brilliant tips. I can definitely, um, yeah, I definitely agree with all of it. But those uh, those basics are so important, aren't they? Spelling and grammar. Um, I feel like it's such a simple thing to get right if you, but it just takes so much time to kind of do it. And also, you have to get that um, space from it because, like you said, it's it's sometimes difficult to spot your own mistake. So being able to give it to someone else or just get a little bit of distance between you and the application for a few days can really make all the difference. Um, yeah, so I was just going to say a common question that I hear aspiring lawyers worry about is how many firms they should be applying to. This is something that I really struggled with as well. Um, so I'd really like to hear your thoughts on that. When you started making applications, did you apply to a lot of firms or did you keep it to a select few? What was your strategy? <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I really struggled with this as well. Um, I think the best answer I got from my seniors when I was going through the process was six to 10 applications. Yes, that is a very like explicit number range. 10, I, in my opinion, going through the process now, 10 really is an upper bound to me because as anyone would know, and I'm sure you know as well, like these applications are very hard to churn out and not only churn out, but churn out at a quality that you are satisfied with and a law firm would be satisfied with. So I think six to 10 really well written applications where you take a week or two on each um, really would be ideal. And But I think, again, it really depends on people because I can also think of some people who I know who were really set on certain firms um, and they sort of decided to keep it within those four to five firms that they really liked. Um, but I think in my opinion, it's also good to be open-minded because I mean, honestly, we are all pretty young when we're doing our training contract applications and we kind of don't know what necessarily uh, law firms have to offer. And I think that that's why a six to 10 range is really good because you're also being open-minded in terms of um, applying to firms to who you may be not, who you're not necessarily instantly gravitated, uh, attracted to, but um but may actually be a place where you really want to be. So I think six to 10 is a good place to be. Yeah, I think I think that, that sounds fair. And um, I think one of the key things that you mentioned really is that they do take a couple of weeks to do. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I heard some law firms, I don't know, I can't remember who said this, but um, some people say that it takes like eight to nine hours or something for an application or eight to 12 hours. And I just thought that was really unrealistic. I'm sure they from graduate recruitment at one firm. I won't name them. I can't even remember who they are. But um, yeah, I just thought that was really like unrealistic. It took me a lot longer. So. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think it's important to take your time as well, because uh, as you said before, like you just spend ages on this one thing you're working on. And then 
I feel like it's really hard to be objective about it. You kind of do have to take space. And I mean, everyone also has a life. I mean, that's another thing. Like you, most people applying maybe in university or maybe outside university. And it's equally as important to take care of your health and your academics and your family and social life. And so being able to actually spread out your work over like, I'd say one to two weeks for an application seems much more realistic. Um and yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> just eight to nine hours. I really wish it took me only that much time to do my application. But um, yeah, I think it is a time-bound process. Definitely. So I'm, I'm aware that you're an international student. So how did that impact your journey? Is there any specific advice you could give to other international students who are considering commercial law in the English legal system? Yeah, that's, um, yeah. So my background is, as I said before, I'm Indian Singaporean and I chose to do law in London um, prim- primarily because of the academic perspective. But then I honestly um, came into London being really clueless. And so I think that for international students, it's really, I think there's like an extra hurdle. And that actually might be the same for British national people as well. But everyone has that additional hurdle of coming to grips with actually what is the English legal system? How does it operate? This distinction between barristers and solicitors. And I can say, honestly, it took me a bit of time to come to grips with it. Probably embarrassingly long. I was, um, I really suffered from a lot of imposter syndrome of being around really talented individuals who seemed to know exactly what they want to do with their career and they knew how the system worked. And I think that what I would say for international students is take your time, speak to seniors. I was really terrible at reaching out for help. I'm sure there might be a lot of listeners who could relate to that, where you just feel really scared to ask questions in fear of looking dumb. But honestly, everyone's in the same boat and asking questions to your seniors as to like what to do in your first year, second year takes you a long way. And um, just researching um, what the pathway to being a solicitor is, attending attending law firm events and actually speaking to people. I think these are really important things and just acclimatizing to the culture in England. And I just think that it's a process of acclimatizing really and taking your time to build connections with people who actually know what's going on. And yeah, my top tip is just for international students is just be kind to yourself because it is difficult to come to a new country and try to understand what's going on. And secondly, ask away like honestly just don't be afraid to ask questions ask your seniors they're there to help you and they've been through the process before you and yeah that's all I can say and yeah and thank you sorry what was that last thing sorry just said be confident in yourself I feel like people can be very you know self-deprecating so just be confident in yourself as well Definitely. I really like that. Be kind to yourself and be confident because it's a, it's not an overnight process. As you said, it takes time. Um, but I think we, we can all be guilty of wanting to be the finished product straight away. Yeah. But yeah. OK, so um, what are your top tips for succeeding in a training contract interview? Um, and in particular, I'd be quite interested to know how you prepared for case study interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so training contract interviews are pretty daunting. Um, I mean, I I, you, I know you've touched on case study interviews, but I'll just briefly touch on competency interviews as well, because they can be a bit difficult. And so um, what I'll say is for competency interviews, 
I had four, four main things that I did. The first thing was I printed out my CV, like the application form for that specific firm I'm doing an assessment center at. And I just memorized it back and forth. So I knew exactly what I said in my application. And that just ensures that because the likelihood is the partner who's interviewing you, they're using your application as a reference. So the, so you just have to make sure that you actually remember what you've written down, which sometimes when you're doing a lot of applications can be hard to remember and keep track of. And then secondly, what I did was, is I prepared situational questions um, with relation to competency, like times I disagreed with someone, time I demonstrated leadership or took initiative. And I just wrote down bullet point answers to them. And I think what that does is, I don't think all of us naturally are you know, we, do, we don't naturally get asked the question, when was a time you demonstrated leadership in your life on a daily basis? So I feel like once you're actually asked that for the first time, you just actually can't remember anything you've done in your life all of a sudden. So <laughs> preparing questions, preparing answers to questions beforehand, not only helps you be prepared for anything that comes forward, but it also just gets you into the mindset of actually remembering and being deliberate about reflecting on experiences you've had in your extracurriculars or in your life and actually, you know, being very deliberate about pulling out the skills and qualities you've developed over time. And then thirdly, I would say um, this is really embarrassing, but something I did was practicing answering questions on Zoom by myself in my room and recording my answers. And then I would watch them back and I would see any speech patterns I had, whether I kept saying um a lot, which was I was very much guilty of. And I think that is really great because I think sometimes we're just not aware that we might have certain habits that might be hindering from making us sound very clear or articulating ourselves well. So I think that's another great thing. And Zoom is, yeah, it's a, it's a great tool now um, to have with the pandemic and everything because it's just a great way to get on and um, be able to practice by yourself. And fourthly, I would say research the firm and the legal industry. And that means keeping up with changes in the legal industry, like the introduction of the SQE, um, COVID-19, working from home, legal technology, and then also researching the firm. I think a few key things I could point out, some reports, which I found really helpful in my law firm research process. And this is also helpful for the application part of it would be the annual report of a firm, their responsible business report, any um, press conference, press um, reports they do on their global strategy, um, any changes to their company policy. For example, I recently was introduced to the fact that Clifford Chance now includes gender reassignment surgery as part of their new employee insurance policies, which is great. And it it's, it seems like something mundane. It's their, you know, insurance policy, but it just tells you volumes about a firm's values. So I think that those sort of reports and, um, and news pieces give you a lot of information, which you can use in your interview. And then moving on to the case study interview, which I think is usually the bane of everyone's existence. Um, it's, I would say that commercial awareness takes you a long way. I know we'll discuss it further later, but honestly, um, commercial awareness isn't as complicated as it has been made out to be. It's really simple. The way I did it was I just 
committed to myself that I would read the news for about 10 to 15 minutes every single morning, whether that be BBC, the Financial Times. I personally liked the Financial Times, but I know a lot of friends who don't. And that's perfectly fine. You don't have to force yourself to read things that you don't like or you feel are overly complex. I think, again, it's just about tailoring the approach to yourself. So if you like podcasts, I can, The Economist and even The Financial Times have great five-minute podcasts for the morning that you can listen to that do a, do a daily recap on the news. And um, so I think that's a really great thing. And what that does is, and the point of that is creating a habit. So what happens is over time, once you're listening to the news, you know, for five minutes every day, you realize there's links between stories. And so in case studies, when you're presented with a problem or a deal or a transaction, typically you would be able to find something that might be relevant to, that might be related to something you saw in the news. Um, And that's a great way to like, that's a great way to show your independent critical thinking because then you can bring in these news pieces if you've seen the airlines industry struggling and you're presented with something related to airlines then you can say you know i've been reading about how there have been issues in the industry and how that impacts what my advice would be to this hypothetical client and i think that's a great way to show firms that you're not just thinking about the task at hand which is the the materials given to you in the case study but you're also able to do you know you know have lateral thinking and you know think um think independently and critically and then secondly i think this is something that's a very underrated thing and might seem very counterintuitive in a case study interview is that if you do not know the answer to something um admit it and take your time um, I think we all are under immense amount of pressure to act like we know everything. And we think that we have to do that. But the honest truth is that you don't. Partners are very well aware that, I mean, partners, they have had, the partners who are interviewing you, they have had like immense years of experience and they have done a lot of work to get to the position they are at. And you can't even begin to you know, compete with a partner's knowledge on a certain thing. And the point is just to be self-aware of it. And I think partners are very well aware of that as well. And they are, they will treat you in a way that they are aware that you may not know everything. But the point then is that if you don't know something, just admit it because it's, there's nothing wrong with admitting to not knowing something. It's actually very brave to do that. And secondly, then just try to follow up that with, so maybe I don't know the answer to this, but on the basis of what I've seen so far, um, I would think that X is the answer. And try to basically just show your verbal reasoning and your logic to demonstrate that you are able to critically think whilst being self-aware that you may not actually know the answer to something. And that's really great because that shows that you're very, um, that you're good at not only um, taking in information, but you're able, you're willing to be open to someone else giving you information because what that tells the partner probably is that maybe they should supplement you with some information to aid you in your answer. And, you know, that just creates a bit of a conversation. And yeah, I think just that sort of self-awareness takes you a long way um, because even when you are a trainee solicitor, there will be times you don't know the answer to something and you do have to admit that you don't know it. Um, so I think that's a great thing to keep in mind. Um, thirdly, in terms of the case study, the 
biggest issue probably that people probably have is that you're often given a lot of materials to go through in a very limited period of time. So what I would say is that, yeah, this is really a task of prioritization. The case study is built for you to demonstrate your ability to identify precisely which materials are relevant to the question they're asking you. And so if you have a lot of pages, just try to skim read, give yourself like five minutes to just quickly, rapidly go through all of the pages so you can ad- identify what dif- what the different components or different types of information they've given you. And then take a look at the question which they've given you. Usually they do give you a question that you have to answer or like a pitch you have to give. And then try to then use that question to anchor what materials you're looking at. So um, whether that be then if it's to do with the transaction, that the financials of a company are really important, then you take a bit of extra time actually just looking into the financials. So yeah, like it, the point is to be comfortable with the fact that you don't need to read everything very closely and just try to do the best you can in the time you have and just be smart about it. You don't need to spend ages reading every single word on every single page. And finally, and this kind of ties into what I've already said before, is to be receptive to new information given to you in the interview. Um, Oftentimes, again, as partners are very experienced and they probably do know um, a lot about what they're giving, presenting you with, they might throw you a counter opinion or a, you know, something to throw you off or some new information. Well, I don't mean to say that partners will try to throw you off, but it's just that to present you with a new set of information to see how you react to that. And what I would say is like, what I would say is that partners are asking for your opinion and it is important to stand your ground, especially if you believe that what you're saying is right. But if you do get a new set of information, you may have an inkling that this may change your opinion or this may actually may actually reduce the credibility of your previous opinion. It's perfectly fine to be receptive to it and say that, oh, on the basis of this, I actually do think I should change my opinion because that's that also shows that also creates a sense of conversation and it shows that you are willing to be open to new information and you're also willing to actually um, understand what is best in the sense that it's not meant to be there. The partner is not trying to fight you. They're, they're definitely there to support you and get you to the right place at the end of the interview. So don't be afraid. And that when they give you new information, just be open to it. Just try your best to um, respond to it and take it in with time. Um, and another thing, as I said, in this is like, Take your time. So if if there is something that throws you off, and there probably will be, I personally have had many moments like that in assessment centers where I've just been stumped. Just take your time, whether that be asking, can I have a minute to think about it? Because um, taking your time and instead of rushing into an answer will help you loads because it is a very nerve wracking situation. And half of what the assessment center's hurdle is, is your nerves and tackling your own nerves. So having the confidence to say, you know what, I need just a minute to think about it I, or taking even 30 seconds to just, you don't have to ask for it, but just pause for 30 seconds, think about it in your head, clear your head, calm yourself down. And then you answer the question that just, that just that's just a really great way to give yourself the best fighting chance in answering a question. And yeah, so I think... Those are my four big things um, for the case study um, that I can think of. And probably in relation to 
the actual components of the case study, um, I would say that do try to do a bit of reading on M&A transactions on basic principles of business because they're not expecting you to be super technical um, because they know, again, that you are law students or non-law students and you are pretty young or, uh, you know, or you may not have the requisite experience and stuff like that. So it's just about having a good basic understanding of business. Um, what, what are the considerations a business makes when they're doing a transaction and understanding the process of an M&A deal, because that's usually the cornerstone of corporate law. So um, having an understanding of what are, what are the different vehicles for executing an M&A transaction, um, things like um, tax considerations, um, what, what is the, whether, like having the understanding of whether the com your client can even take on the transaction due diligence, what are the components of due diligence, these sort of basics in terms of M&A can really help you. And there's a load of resources online to actually aid you in terms of understanding M&A because I myself had to sort of, again, trial and error my way through it. Places like TCLA um, and even Google, there's a lot of YouTube videos on M&A transactions um, and those help you a lot in terms of giving you a basic overview. And yeah, I think that pretty much sums up what a case study interview is like. Brilliant. Thank you so much for going into so much detail and providing so much amazing advice on that. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. So you kind of touched on this a little bit in your previous answer, but do you have any further advice for listeners who want to try and develop their commercial awareness? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I said before, I think commercial awareness as a term seems really daunting. Again, I, I think it's really unfair to applicants, um, but really commercial awareness is just being aware of what's going on in the world. It's as simple as that. And that's having understanding. And for when you're applying for trading contracts, I think maybe there's an added element of not only do you need to understand what's going on in the business world, um, but you also need to understand things like what's going on in the legal industry. And I think that's another really key thing, which maybe is, which does make commercial awareness a bit difficult. So I'll touch on the um, general news economy business side of it, and then I'll touch on the legal industry. Right. So in terms of the news, I would say, as I said before, it's all about creating habits. Give yourself goals, start small. If you're not someone who likes reading, if you aren't someone who already is in the habit of reading news, make yourself set goals. Like I'm going to spend five to 10 minutes doing this every single day. Create consistent habits where, where it doesn't feel like commercial awareness. So it doesn't feel like commercial awareness is this thing you're aspiring to, but it's just something that is just part of your life. Like we should all aspire to be people, you know, who read the news on a daily basis and are aware of going what's going on around us. 
um, because it just helps us in our daily life. So I think just viewing it in that way, viewing it as something that's part of your life, I think that takes away the pressure of this like daunting thing called commercial awareness. And it's that consistency that helps you form the comprehensive commercial awareness that is actually helpful in the case study. Because what happens is um, when you form that consistency, as I said, Oftentimes, news isn't isolated. Um, a news story takes months to progress. A deal takes months to progress. And things happen across months. So if you just open the news BBC on like in April once and you pick up a story from then, that story could have easily just changed over the course of time. Like, um, I don't know, like the case of with the Tiffany uh, and LVMH um, case was a really big one where that went across months where you were having a potential lawsuit at hand about, um, you know, the first sort of COVID-19 lawsuit about the idea of the force majeure and stuff like that. So, and I think that these kind of long stories um, are actually what help you answer questions because that means that you're able to, and you're not only able to give a story to the partner who's asking you a question, but you're also able to identify um, things that change over time and have like this very comprehensive opinion. And also then you're able to make cross connections. So you can be reading about climate change, like COP26 that's been happening recently, um, which happened recently, sorry. And then you can... Um, make connections from that to what is happening in businesses with law firms now aiming to go net zero, building ESG practices, making their own firm commitments and their own ESG roadmaps. I think these sort of organic connections, which you're then able to make and just demonstrates um, the sort of awareness that you have. And then just focus on finding the medium for you. As I said before, I don't want to be too, as um, <laughs> I don't want to um, hit on it too much, but there are some great resources like Finimize, The Morning Brew, um, which give bite-sized um, news directly to your email. So you don't even have to go anywhere. You just get it straight in your email every single day. Very easy to read and just finding what works for you. And then secondly, which is the legal industry part of it, which I think might be difficult, is actually keeping up to date with what's going on specifically in the English legal industry. So you can have things like the introduction of the SQE and um, what is going on in terms of uh, what are the firms considering? Like because of COVID-19, we now have a problem with in law firms perhaps where um, graduate recruitment and graduate development are now thinking about how do we create learning opportunities for trainee solicitors whilst they're working from home and they no longer have that organic contact with partners whilst they're in the office like where they can just drop for a chat and you saw there a lot of innovation because of that because law firms started introducing mentorship schemes um, ways for um and just basic practices like making trainee solicitors do presentations on a weekly or monthly basis to, you know, practice their public speaking skills. And this sort of innovation and understanding of what's going on in the legal industry also is really key because, uh, I mean, ultimately, when you're doing your training contract applications, you're applying to be in the legal industry. So you should know what's going on there. And so I think that's another key thing, which sometimes people do overlook. Uh, and it may seem like it's something really basic, especially 
the problem might be when someone asks you, uh, what is the different, what are the challenges facing this firm and the firm you're applying to and you're in an assessment center form for? And that's a really daunting question to be asked because how do you point out um, what a firm you are applying to for a job? What can they be doing better and what are the challenges they are facing? You know, that's a really daunting question to be asked. And so I think that once you start understanding what the legal industry is like and what are the issues it's facing then you're better able to tackle questions like that and um, also that also just helps you better understand um, the position of law firms in the market and what where you want to be applying and those sorts of things I think that's what I would say for commercial awareness just don't be scared of it um, treat it like it's something that's part of your life. It's not that difficult. It's not difficult. It just takes time and consistent consistency. And it's something you will just naturally build over time if you make an intentional effort towards it. Brilliant. Thank you so much. And were there any challenges that you faced when going through the application process? And if so, how did you overcome them? Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's a difficult one because it is true. I mean, I, we've all been through it. The training contract application process is a tough time. Um, every cycle can be really tiring. And for those applying in, in university, there's a new set of challenges. And if you're working while doing it, then there's a whole other set of challenges I can't even imagine. Personally, for me, it was two things, really. It was juggling my second year academics and honestly, my mental health. Um, because, well, when I was doing my training contract applications, it was this unique time where just after I got my Clifford Chance vacation scheme offer, COVID-19 and the lockdown happened. And, you know, I was really excited about this offer coming in. And then I had to fly back home to Singapore because of this global pandemic that was taking place. But during the applications, I would say um, it is difficult as a student because, you are at a pivotal time in your university year, which is second year, where your grades do matter. They contribute towards your degree classification. Um, law school is not easy, even non-law school, non-law subjects are not easy. So I struggled with how much time do I spend on my applications and how much time do I spend on my academics and also how much time do I spend on people and my friends and my family. Um, and how I overcame that was really just setting boundaries. I, it got to a point where I had to be very kind of strict with myself because, I mean, the truth is, as we said before, you know how graduate recruitment said you spend eight to nine hours on an application. But the truth is you can, if you wanted to, you could spend hours on end on an application because there's no end to, you know, perfecting something. We are all capable of just, you know, thinking nothing is ever good enough. So I really just had to sit down and say, you know what, I'm going to only dedicate one and a half weeks on this application. I set, I took out my calendar. I made a schedule for myself that this week I'm going to finish this application another week this one and then even within the week I'd be like by Tuesday I need a first draft done so that I can send it to my friend and then I can get it I can do a redraft of it proofread it two more times and stuff like that and those internal deadlines helped me so much because then that forced me to end that cycle of oh I can work on this a little bit more I can do a bit better on this because you just have to reach a point where you're like this is done and I need to send it off 
And you have to be happy with that. Obviously, put in your best effort to get to that point. Don't just spend an hour on that application and be like, I need to send it off now. But trust yourself that if you have spent, if you've given yourself a dedicated amount of time to spend on this application and you've done your best effort to proofread it, everything, you spent a good, a decent chunk of time on it, just trust yourself and send it off because you just have to focus, prioritize and move on. Secondly, working with my friends in study groups for my academics. I just, I, again, I was such a, I'm a person so afraid of asking questions and like, you know, um, reaching out for help, but I just had to. My And you just realize that once you do reach out and ask for help, you just realize that everyone around you is in the same position and they're so willing to help you. Like my, my friends and my peers, they were so willing to make study groups for academics. And this just changed my world so much because I mean, your friends are in the same boat as you, and it's really just about group work and lifting each other, both academically and personally. And so just collaborating on individual modules and, you know, helping each other out so that it's not like you're alone in terms of tackling, you know, the 20 readings you have for this week, but, you know, the 20 readings are split up amongst your friends. And I think that just is a really great thing. Um, That sort of camaraderie is something you should try to find and just be open to you know collaborating and secondly in terms of mental health it's like I just thought you know there I did receive a lot of rejection um you know whether it be at the application stage you know after doing an assessment center and it is difficult and it can be very demoralizing and it can feel personal but it's something that you do have to just realize it just cannot be personal and you're the outcome of your application just cannot and never should reflect your personal worth. And it is difficult when you are surrounded by extremely talented and organized peers who know what they want to do. And especially now with COVID-19, I can imagine with people sometimes, you know, studying from home, doing their applications from home. I did my Latham and Watkins back scheme online, did my assessment center for it online, my training contract interview for it online. And I can tell you sitting in a room alone um, with the anxiety of, am I going to get this offer? It's really daunting. And it's just not the best experience because it just seems all uncertain. And that uncertainty, I think, is an unfortunate side effect of the pandemic, especially for students going through the application stage. And so I think you just have to realize you do need to take care of yourself. At the end of the day, if you are struggling physically, mentally, you're never going to be able to put out an application that is the best reflection of you. And so it you just have to take care of yourself so that you're able to perform at your best to give your best shot for your application. So what I had to do was I had to create healthy habits. I got into exercise in my week. I would have to, I would have to incorporate it two to three times or, you know, more in a week, spending a meal with my flatmates, you know, um, checking in on them, giving them gifts. Uh, you know, like my friends did these really amazing things when I was alone in lockdown in my flat in London. Um, by sending you know, dropping chocolates outside my house on um, the day before my Latham vacation scheme started. And that just made my day because I was sitting alone and I was so scared of what's going to happen in the next week. And that just lifted my mood so much. And so you just have to find things that work for you, taking time off, meditation, reach out to your friends. Your friends will help you. They're also in the same boat as you. Um, just ask for help and build your support system and be the support system for other people as well. And I think, yeah, I think it's just a matter of taking care of yourself. Really. I cannot stress that enough. I can burnout is the worst thing to happen. And I think that 
yeah, that's all I can say. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant advice again, Fasha. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. And it sounds like you've got some really nice friends as well who uh, <laughs> my friends are listening and bring me chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. This should be assigned to them. <laughs> Okay. Um, so my next question is about mentorship. Now, I there's a lot of mentorship schemes out there. TSL also has one um, for anyone who's interested, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but from my experience, when I got a mentor, I wasn't always sure how best to utilize the time that I had with them. Um, so I'm interested to know whether you had a mentor when going through the process. Um, if so, how did you find your mentor and how did they help you in your journey? I don't know if I'm going to be the best responder to this question, okay. just because um, I didn't really have a singular mentor who I can name and think of at the moment. And again, it's not because no one wanted to help me. It's because I was just really scared of asking. And I was, and I think, that's why I think, as you said, it's so great that there are so many mentorship schemes out there because it is, as you said, very hard to actually identify, find a mentor and build a relationship with them organically where you can, you know, feel comfortable enough to ask them for advice. And for me, I think my mentors was were just all of my friends and my seniors. Like, it was really a group effort, honestly. I am here because of a group effort. Um, whenever I had any issues, I would reach out to individual friends or seniors who would help me. My seniors, even for academics, they would share their notes with me if they could. Or, you know, if they didn't know how to answer my question about an application or a firm, they would direct me to a friend of theirs who maybe did a VAC scheme there or applied there. And, you know, these kind of like, you know, asking around kind of network that sort of really helped me. I could name a person, maybe Alicia Lim. She is an amazing person. She is a senior of mine and she, you know, really sort of held my hand through it because I didn't know what was going on. And she really helped me with my academics and um, sharing so kind enough to share her notes with me um, and answered all of my questions related to firms and put me in touch with people. And it, in, the, in terms of that mentorship relationship, you you have to realize that in terms of how to best utilize the help on offer, I think it's really about, um, first of all, don't be afraid to ask. The worst thing someone can say is say no to you. And that's perfectly fine. If they, if they are busy and if they can't help you, they will say no. And you just take it on, you know, you just take it as they, they can't help you. Obviously, there is a thing of like, uh, be reasonable in what you're asking for sometimes like you know people who are more like my seniors they were really busy because they were in their third year and if I asked them like oh can you do this uh, could I ask you this question and I need the answer to this by tomorrow obviously that's really unfair on them so I think in terms of how to best utilize your mentors I think it's really important to be open and honest with them ask them the questions that you're thinking oftentimes if you ask them you know, in a way that reflects what you're thinking, like it's a personal question. They're very helpful. They, they, they would be very willing to help because it's about an experience, you know, and they feel like, um, like if you say, you know, I'm really struggling with this thing, I don't really know what's going on. Then I think they will be really willing to help you just be reasonable in your requests if it's time sensitive. And yeah, I think for me, it was really an amalgamation of like a lot of people who helped me who I'm really grateful for. And then I think it's also important that now 
what I do is I try to do that for anyone else. So um, I'm really grateful I got this podcast opportunity because it feels like a bit of doing that is like, if so, if anyone ever reaches out to me now, I do my best to help them or put them in touch with someone who can better help them. And I think that it's so great now that the commercial law space in terms of recruitment has just grown so much um, since when I did my applications two years ago, like you have things like the TSL mentorship scheme, the Grow Mentoring, um, which is headed by Justin Ference and Lucy Cole is amazing. I've been a mentor on it. I've been mentoring two people on it since January and it's been such a great experience. And I think mentorship is very key. Um, having someone, for me, my mentors, my friends and my seniors, they helped me because it, it, it it's such a great experience because what it does is it makes it more personal. All, all I can say is because doing applications is difficult, doing it on your own in your room, reading a bunch of things online. And what mentorship does is it, it not only gives you a space to ask questions, but it gives you a safe space to actually express what you're feeling and um, learn how to seize opportunities. And I think that, yeah, I think that mentorship is something really amazing and people should definitely try to access these mentorship schemes because they're really great. And in terms of how to find a mentor, if you want to find one organically, what I can say now, now that my training contract application is over, and now I do feel like I have some mentors who I've tried to build an organic relationship with, because now I'm trying to get out of the thing of, you know, being scared to ask questions. In terms of how to find your mentor, um, it's about really building a relationship. That's a very vague thing to say, thing to say, I understand, but it's just, you know, um, having conversations that are not just about you extracting something from your mentor but learning about your mentor you know asking personal questions to them what was their journey like what did they go go through keeping in touch with them you know having a constant touch back with them keep them updated on what's going on so if you're doing an application and someone is helping you with it just update them on how your application went Um, ask them questions about their own experience I mean from what I've seen so far it is much more effective to ask a mentor what they went through and what their experience was because that's the best thing they can tell you about rather than you know throwing a bunch of questions about a law firm at them not that that's not effective as well but I feel like personally everyone can speak much better to what their experience is so just trying to get your get to know your mentor and being interested in what their journey was like I think that also takes you a very long way and yeah that's um what I would say and just being consistent with your communication and it just not being a one-way extraction is important. Thank you. And are there any resources, books, websites, that sort of thing that you found helpful when applying? I know you've mentioned a couple already, but um, perhaps if you could just share share those. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, there's no the great thing nowadays is that there's no end to any resource like resources. There's just immense amounts, and I probably can't even list all of them. A basic thing that really helped me was the book called Know the City by Chris Stokes. I think it's a very famous book. Um, It just gives you just a great, brilliant, short, comprehensive overview on what the commercial space is like. And it teaches you basic concepts about what an economy, how an economy operates, financial markets and things like that. TCLA's website is really great as well. They have great articles on litigation, M&A, and even firm profiles. Even the student lawyer is a great website, um, which has a plethora of resources on there. 
um, about firms. And then also another thing I would really recommend is firms as podcasts. Firms these days are putting an incredible amount of investment into the sort of resources um, that they're putting out. And that includes podcasts. Clifford Chance has a great number of podcasts, um, one being interviews with people. Um, That's a really great, I think those ones are really great because you get to hear personal stories from people at Clifford Chance about what their experience was like. And that gives you a really great insight into um, what, what the experience at a firm is. Um, also, Latham and Watkins also has a podcast about different topics. Um, and HSF also has one on technology. They have like a technology-specific podcast. So I think these podcasts are really great because you are not only building your commercial awareness, but you're also doing it through the lens of partners because it's often partners or associates or even trainee solicitors who are conducting these podcasts, so then you actually get to hear their opinion on a lot of what is going on in the world. And finally, I think Forage is a really good place. It used to be called Inside Sherpa. Their internships and online firm events are really great and easy way to gain access to people from different firms. Their internships are brilliant because it it really is really helpful because they, it does feel like simulated trainee solicitor tasks with really good feedback at the end of it. And then also their online firm events. So if you sign up and build a profile on there, then they automatically email you about a bunch of events that law firms are doing. And I think that's great because that just gives you a one-stop shop like to get access to a lot of firm events, which you might have to otherwise, you know, do a bit of research and try to find each individual law firm's um, calendar and sort out. Yeah, so I think that's my list of resources. Wonderful, thank you. So, Rasha, you've given us so much advice today. Um, a lot of it is really unique as well, which, which is fantastic. But do you have any last words of advice for our listeners? Perhaps something that you wish you knew at the beginning of your TC journey? <laughs> um, firstly, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think I really just should emphasize this is believe in yourself and take care of yourself in the sense that do not absolutely do not sell yourself short in your applications. Everyone has really unique experiences that they can touch on. Often there are things we do in our life, like things we participated, whether it be in sixth form in high school, that we just think is something like a club or an activity we used to do. And we just never think about it again. But actually, we just we actually did something really impactful back then. But we just think like oh why would a law firm be interested in something I did when I was 16 but just don't sell your don't sell yourself short be confident think about everything you have to offer and just yeah believe in yourself because you have to believe yourself and believe in yourself at the end of the day um because you know you can't depend on the law firm to believe in you you have to believe in yourself and then secondly invest in your research I talked a lot about the criteria I use for my research and Thoroughly researching a firm using a criteria separate separate from the questions they ask you on the application helps you not only prepare for answering the application questions as well, but it also helps you if you do progress further on to the assessment center, you already have this document of research that you had done prior to the application. And you can just refer back to it then because what happens sometimes is, and I did that in my first one or two applications is I would just take the questions they had asked me in the application questions and then try to do research to fit what they had asked me. 
and then answer the question, not write down my notes anywhere. And then it's like, then you come back to the application and it's like, where did I find this information from? I don't even remember what resources I used. So having, and that leads into my third point is have a centralized source for all of your notes. It is massively helpful to have a dry folder or even a physical folder, if that's what you prefer, where you can keep all of your notes together. So if you do get invited back to an interview, you don't need to restart all of your research from scratch because you forgot to put it somewhere and you can just build on what you previously did and it just keeps you organized because then you don't have to you know scramble uh, around different websites because the truth is with law firm research you are going to be accessing a lot of different websites so trying to keep track of all of those things is just going to be impossible so creating a centralized so what I did was I created one document per firm with all of my research so I would just paste on my criteria on the document and then do my write down all of my research and I just had that on, on hand in one folder and I just could refer back to it and yeah I think those are my top three things. Thank you and finally before we let you go do you have any favorite non-law books or podcasts that you can recommend for our listeners over the Christmas break if they want to get away from the law a little bit and listen to something else or read something else um, is there anything you can recommend? Um, I have two books I can recommend, which I have read. Um, and I, they are quite different. Um, the first one is On Earth, We Are Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vung. It is a bit sad, I will admit, maybe not the best thing, but it's great to it's it's great to read with like a hot chocolate, you know, like near the heater or something like that. But it's beautifully written. It will move you to tears. It's such a good read. Um, and I would highly recommend it. Um, and then secondly, if you want to lighten the mood a bit, then Sterling Carrot Gold by Isabel Wadener. It's a bit on the other spectrum where it's it's a really, I don't know how to describe it as any other anything other than Kurt Vonnegut-esque eccentric queer writing. It's oh, so brilliant. Okay. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just, and it's set in London as well in Camden. So I loved it because I was like, okay, something I can like visualize. Actually, I can visualize the places where, where I'm reading about. And it was just such a great experience. It leaves you kind of baffled and confused, but it's a fun ride. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. I will find the links to those and put them in the description box of the podcast for anyone who can <laughs> check them out. Um, but yeah, that comes to the end of my questions. So all I can do is thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, yeah, your journey is just so interesting and the advice that you have is um, amazing. So yeah, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk about all of this. Wonderful. Okay, and thank you to all of the listeners for tuning in. And until next time, goodbye. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono programme, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. 
the University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment-focused experience, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.